out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. your point of view How does it feel for you Einstein said he could never understand it all Planets are spinning through space Smile upon your face Welcome to the human Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Well, in recent years when it became obvious to me that our economy is in deep trouble, the biggest single issue I thought that investors needed to keep their eyes on is how this pathology, this economic pathology, will play itself out. Will it be by way of a deflationary depression like our grandparents went through during the 1930s, or will we see a hyperinflationary depression uh, like maybe the Weimar Republic had or many other countries have had and actually in recent times are still having in Zimbabwe? We think of Zimbabwe at the present time. So we've had quite a few folks on this show on both sides of this uh, this debate. Uh, we had, for example, on the deflation side, we've had Robert Prechter uh, and Dr. Robert McHugh, both Elliott Wave proponents, uh, students of Elliott Wave, Ian Gordon, Miss Shedlock, and, and Bob Hoy, I would say, uh, also on the deflation side. On the inflation side, we've had the likes of William Baker, Rob Kirby, James Turk, Mark Faber, uh, presidential candidate Ron Paul's been with us, and he let it know, be known that he believes that's where we'll end up, and John Williams. And we have had a, a number of folks also on this show who say, well, like Sean Broderick said a little while ago, he thinks we're heading into a deflationary period of time, and then we will uh, go in the opposite direction down the road. So who knows for sure? I can tell you that I have not made up my mind for sure. I'm not quite sure. I know which way we're heading and, and when. Um, uh, though I have my leanings, for sure. Those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis are aware of that. But it's very important because it has everything to do with how we invest our money, how we should invest our money. If we're going into a deflationary environment, then clearly cash is not a bad thing. Gold will be very good, I think. And gold share is probably the best environment as a disinflation or a deflationary environment for gold mining companies. If, on the other hand, we're going into a hyperinflationary environment, then then maybe it makes sense to have some mortgage. Maybe it makes sense to borrow some money even and go into debt to a certain extent. Um, it, it, we might want to hold assets that we wouldn't necessarily want to hold in a deflationary environment. So revolving this question of hyperinflation or a deflationary depression is a big deal to me, and I know it is to many folks who think seriously about investing their money. So to try to help us figure out which way we are going to tilt, uh, we have today with us, and I'm very honored to have both John Williams, 
uh, who will presumably discuss things on the inflationary side, and Bob Hoy, who I believe will tell us that uh, I may not agree with John on everything and probably it leans more on the deflationary side of, of the issue. We've had both of these gentlemen with us before, and I'm really, really glad that both of you could come. Welcome, both of you, John and Bob, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, good to be with you. Um, because time is so short, um, I just want to sort of get into, let's just start right off by uh, seeing what's your definition of inflation and deflation. And the Austrian school really argues that it's simply a matter of money supply. If we have a rising money supply, it's inflation. If we have a decreasing money supply, it's deflation. John, can you tell me what your definition of inflation and deflation is? And then I'll ask Bob the same question. Well, I, I don't generally have too much of a problem with the Austrian school, although it doesn't necessarily always reflect the real world, nor are all the definitions on money supply necessarily adequate. Mm-hmm. Um, right now we've got falling in, uh, uh, falling M3, as I measure it, in, uh, in the U.S., yet I'm going to be, be arguing for inflation and uh, that you need to look at a, a broader picture of uh, money supply when you have a current uh, currency that's also the world's reserve currency. Mm-hmm. My definition of inflation, very simply in one terms of what I'm talking about, when I talk about inflation, is the year-to-year change in prices for consumer goods and services, as opposed to inflation or deflation in assets. Um, an asset deflation and sharp economic contraction are not inconsistent with positive inflation. Okay. And I will... Expand upon that further. Yeah, sure, uh, Bob. What what do you say about uh, your definition of inflation and deflation? Well, this is kind of the historian in me speaking. And uh-huh. years ago, there was the classic definition of inflation was an inordinate expansion of credit, and mm-hmm. from that, it's easy to go to a classic definition of deflation, which is an inordinate contraction of credit. One follows the other. And uh, I'm content to stay with that because you've had inflation erupt in different items at different times. 1970s, it was inflation and consumer price index, and it got up to, what, 15% or something like that. And then at another time in the 80s, you had uh, an inflation in gold up to 1980, gold and, and silver and crude oil, and then you had a deflation of those. So what one wants to look at are recurring patterns in history, and these are defined, of course, by great, massive credit expansions, of which we have been on an extraordinary one, and the uh, deflation of credit that started in 2007 has been, according to many uh, mainstream economists, quite extraordinary, perhaps the worst since the 1930s, which then tells us something else as well. So I think what we're seeing here is a massive attempt by a failing intellectual effort called interventionist economists, economics to keep the bubble going and, to, and, in fact, perhaps even reignite another bubble and I think it's failing, and the failure is simple, is that it's the old saying about the Federal Reserve trying to push a, push a rope. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't work. So the Fed relies upon eager borrowers 
to get its portion of the credit expansion out. But if the rest of the street and the private sector is generally suffering a credit contraction, it's going to, at some point, if enough asset prices are falling at the same time, then the Fed will be unable to depreciate the currency. So this is what we'll rest with, and that's the first uh, start of my point of point of view. Okay. Um, John, do we, so, John, if I understand you properly, what you're suggesting is that, so your definition is really that of prices. So you uh, could I, have, um, I, I look at it from a very practical standpoint okay. as the average person would view it, are prices mm-hmm. rising or falling? What Bob is saying, I really can't argue with. You may find that the two of us are much closer in agreement here than, uh, than, than you thought. I suspect that will be the case. Uh, <clears throat> I know Bob's a student of the, uh, Cycles and certainly what we're seeing in the current credit cycle is 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 uh, a collapse of uh, something that uh, really should never have taken place. Uh, what we're going through right now is a structural contraction, uh, and there, there's a the structural part of it is that the consumer, uh, for decades now, has been unable to stay ahead of inflation. That's been largely due to the loss of uh, higher-paying jobs offshore. You don't have growth in income. Net of inflation is measured by consumer prices. <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, the economy can't uh, enjoy sustained positive growth net of inflation because consumption drives uh, the, the the economy. That's fairly simple. You can you can buy time by expanding debt, and that's what Greenspan did uh, when when he knew that. There's no way the economy was going to continue to grow, grow the way it had in the decades before. He did everything he could uh, to uh, in, encourage uh, de- debt expansion and uh, to build, uh, to lever upon, uh, upon lever to the extent that we had one of the greatest, if not the greatest, bubble in history. And indeed now, as the uh, credit system has started to collapse or the extension of credit has started to collapse. You have the consumers in a circumstance where they have inadequate income, uh, net of inflation, uh, to sustain the economy, and they don't have the ability to uh, expand debt that they did in recent years, so there's just no way you're going to have an easy way uh, out, of this, uh, out of this downturn. It does not, however, mean that we're going to have a price deflation. Uh, I can see an asset deflation. Uh, uh, Excuse me, John. You can see an asset deflation, meaning stocks, stocks and uh, uh, housing prices and things like that, yep. but not necessarily uh, consumer prices. The, the guy's got to go fill a tank of gas and, and, and pay for that out of his paycheck. Uh, we'll still be seeing higher prices. And, and what has happened here, what, what the Fed did, what uh, the Treasury did, and by the Fed I mean Bernanke, um, as the current crisis broke, a, a, a deliberate decision was made to try to, to attempt to keep the banking system afloat and solvent and to prevent um, a great deflationary um, economy as it was seen in the Great Depression. The Great Depression, uh, you dropped about 30% in terms of overall uh, consumer prices over several years. Uh, the efforts of the government so far have succeeded in uh, Keeping uh, the, uh, uh, preventing the collapse of deposits, uh, which took place in the 30s and caused the money supply to contract and 
help to drive inflation lower. Um, and uh, they basically prevented deflation. We had a very brief period of time here where year-over-year year CPI went down a little, little over 2% due to the wild gyration and, and uh, oil prices, but that's generally behind us now. But the okay, so, they've taken... So- so, John, I would, I would uh, then have to ask you, do you then not agree with Bob that the attempts to, to overcome this massive uh, deflationary pressure is working to an extent? Well, they, they, it, it is, to, to avoid a massive deflation, it is working. Uh, I contend that they're going to succeed in debasing the dollar, which is Mr. Bernanke's term, um, in, in terms of how the Fed can create inflation. And... Uh, uh, that and, and, and in fact, uh, uh, what lies ahead will leave them with few options, but to uh, do it well beyond what would be considered prudent by anyone. And, and this is a circumstance that um, go, goes back a number of years. But uh, what's happening right now uh, is that we're set for a hyperinflation within the next five years. It could actually break as early as, as, as this year. But before the current crisis, uh, that hyperinflation uh, could have been as far off as the end of this uh, current decade. Uh, if you look at uh, generally accepted accounting principle, uh, accounting for the federal government, um, in 2008 the deficit was uh, $5.1 trillion. That includes uh, net present value, year-to-year change in the net present value of the unfunded liabilities for Social Security, Medicare, and such. Uh, probably close to $9 trillion this year mm. uh, just ended. They haven't published the numbers yet. They're going to do that at the end of this week. But those <clears throat> deficits are beyond containment. Uh, they could tax everyone uh, to 100% of their income, take all corporate profits. They could not, they'd still be in a deficit. They could get, get all government spending except Social Security and Medicare, and they'd still be uh, in deficit. And the... Uh, I mean, if there were to be a solution, it's a, it's a horrendous slashing of Social Security and Medicare that uh, I don't feel there's any uh, political um, base in Washington that's willing, willing to pursue it. The end result being that <clears throat> down the road, as with most countries that uh, bankrupt themselves, uh, instead of defaulting on debt, um, they just uh, meet, the sh- meet the shortfall in revenues by printing money. Um, in this case, the Fed would be monetizing treasury debt, and I think you're going to see a lot of that happening this year, mm-hmm. um, which boosts the money supply and and puts you into a traditional monetary-based inflation, hyperinflation. Okay. Uh, yeah. Bob, um, would would have to ask you then, uh, John thinks that we're going to continue to pay higher prices for gasoline, even if we have asset price, uh, I mean, even if we have asset price deflation. Do you agree with that? No, I don't see that. What one should do is review the activities of the Fed since they opened the door in January 1914, and essentially their job has been to create credit out of thin air. And they've been very good at that, but they need a business cycle in order to do that. And one of the things that academic economists have been unkind with, such as Bernanke, is to claim that the Federal Reserve made no attempt to inflate following the 1929 disaster. But if you read the newspapers rather than the textbooks, you'll find that in the summer of 1929, the Fed was getting prepared for a contraction that last 
increase in the discount rate from 5 to 6% in August of 1929 was intended to kind of tighten up money a little to Wall Street, but they also took measures to ease money to Main Street. Then in the, the hiatus of the crash, the New York Fed, which was huge then as it is now, uh, stepped into the, uh, the fray and opened the discount window and it exceeded its lending authority by a factor of six times. In the early part of 1930, the Fed, this was, of course, after the crash had uh, ended, and you're on a very good rebound, thinking uh, that the economy was going to soon come back. The Fed announced that they had met the crash in the classic fashion by discounting liberally. So you take the newspaper thread even a little further, and in uh, 1932, uh, the economy—sorry, oh, Barron's uh, in, a, in an editorial pointed out that every anti-deflationary measure taken by the Fed in uh, buying bonds out of the market to inflate uh, credit was seen not to be working because uh, outside of that, lower-grade corporate bonds, as they, as the Barron said, were sucked into the vortex of deflation. So. I would say that there was a massive attempt made by the authorities in the early 1930s to inflate, and it was prevented by, guess what, falling asset prices. So mm-hmm. this is uh, important to get across. The other part of history I can give is from my own side, where in 1963 I started with uh, then-Canada's largest bond underwriter, and uh, with absolutely no background in business and economics. I, hell, I took taken a degree in geophysics. And then, uh, and I think it was about 1965, when the rate of inflation was picking up to 2%, and I remember talking to one of the vice presidents in charge of bonds, and I said, well, isn't there some concern that this would trim the amount you get out of real, out of the coupon, and then that would affect the principle of a bond? And the VP of finance said, uh, yes, that's true, but keep in mind that inflation is something that only afflicts lesser countries found in Europe or South America. <laughs> and the United States and Canada, has, they would never become, there's too much integrity and it would never become corrupt. So at that point, pension funds were full of long-term bonds and we went into the, uh, the worst bear market for bond prices in history. So then more recently, in the last decade, uh, the institutions have been working manfully to get uh, the institutions, the pension funds, loaded up in commodities. Why? Because the corruption of central banking and currency depreciation is going to go on forever. Mm. So this suggests that the, the notion of the corruption of central banking is in the market. And everybody's fully positioned for that. <laughs> and, of course, the way that every, the most aggressive investors get positioned is to get leveraged. It. So every time you're leveraged, you end up owing dollars. So it's, a, it's the same old thing that uh, every time you have a, def, uh, a hit in the, in the asset prices, then they're, they're forced to cover in dollars. So I think it's going to be uh, the biggest short squeeze in history is the short position in U.S. dollars. And as I say... The Fed will not willingly change its uh, culture. This Enough is... asset prices going down, and it'll change them. They won't be able to do it. So I'm sticking with it. This is a, a very interesting, John. I, I have to ask you then. Uh, do you, first of all, do you agree 
with Bob's interpretation of history that, in fact, the Fed was very aggressively fighting the the depression, uh, the deflation back in the 1930s with aggressive monetary means, or do you think that just wasn't uh, sufficient enough, and that we are going to, you know, just just do it right this time and get more of it done uh, to to be able to overcome the deflation? Well, back in the back in the 30s, <clears throat> uh, consumer prices uh, held pretty much into end of 1930. Um, and then you started to see a fall off of the money supply, <clears throat> which largely was a result of a banking system problems, failure of banks, actual loss of deposits. I mean, by the time you get to uh, uh, 33, uh, you had the uh, uh, money supply was... Uh, at mid thirty two coming at thirty three was it was down fifteen percent year over year mm-hmm. <coughs> the c p i was down three years in a row there about ten percent year over year mm-hmm. that was beyond the uh, ability of the fed to contain they were doing everything they could uh what was done that was different and 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 what where the system had a certain uh throttle on it was uh, the gold standard and uh after roosevelt uh Abandoned that domestically in '33, uh, confiscated the uh, privately held gold, and then in early '34, uh, depre- depreciated the dollar against gold. And in fact, you find the dollar in this time frame is also dropping against uh, uh, Swiss franc and the British, uh, the, the British pound. All of a sudden, uh, inflation comes back, and. Uh, Inflation generally was a de- deflation was not much of a problem after that. It was a brief spurt in the down spurt in thirty eight, thirty nine. But uh, uh, I'll, I'll contend that the the uh, collapse in the in, in uh, consumer prices seen in the thirties was largely due to the failure of the banks and loss of uh, loss of depositor mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that you know. If, System had been different at that time. They could have, uh, they, they probably could have salvaged it, and uh, what changes were made, including uh, the FDIC and the government stepping in to basically guarantee all deposits during the latest crisis, uh, were lessons learned from that period. Mm-hmm. We should not have gotten into what we saw uh, over the last couple of years. I'm not in any way justifying it. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, what they wanted to do was to prevent a collapse of the banking system, uh, a collapse of the depository institutions, um, and, and a severe contraction in the money supply uh, that would have given you given you the 1930s style Great Depression. We're now operating well off the gold standard. Mr. Roosevelt put us on a on, uh, started us on the debt standard, and uh, he's had very uh, uh, avid followers ever since who've increasingly. Uh, uh, with all sorts of instruments, uh, uh, built leverage upon leverage, up to a point where I'll contend uh, uh, where, where Roosevelt had reached the, the limits of what could be done in the gold uh, on the gold standard, uh, that we reached the limits of what could be done on the, on the debt standard. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. well, I, I the, the point that's been mind. taken there okay. so far, the commitments are are, are yeah. so great that there's no way they can be. Uh, Sustained, and the and the Fed, 
the Fed can get that money supply uh, growing if they if 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 they really want to, um, and I don't think they're going to have much uh, uh, choice in that because we're seeing circumstances now that would tend to mandate a shift in policy. Okay, let me ask Bob. Uh, Bob, do you, what do you think about uh, John's argument that the gold standard got in the way of a of a more aggressive uh, stimulus during the 1930s? Well, the Fed wasn't on a, the U.S. wasn't on a gold standard then. It was the gold exchange standard, which allowed all kinds of cheating. So, but often in these debates, both sides will discuss 1929 and the early 30s, and. Uh, I would suggest that there's a good example of uh, a bubble and followed by severe deflation with the 1873 bubble. Mm -hmm. In the height of that bubble, the leading New York newspaper, the Herald, editorialized that uh, the U.S. was fine, uh, everything would be all right, because they had the Treasury system and they did not have a central bank and at that time, the Bank of England was convertible into gold, so with their sterling. So then they editorialized that this gave immense powers to the Treasury system, uh, and they, they essentially did the same thing and bought bonds out of the market and injected cash into the system, and that this would prevent anything bad from happening. And they had also had a very high regard for the ability of the Treasury of the Secretary at that time. So. That was a classic example of uh, the, insta uh, the establishment celebrating whatever agency was around at the height of a financial mania. And then over it went. And uh, all of the wonders of being on a fiat money system and a powerful treasury uh, was of no avail. It, it went into uh, uh, the typical 20, 25-year contraction. So... Mm -hmm. um, I can go back in time further that uh, you have, uh, when you have one of these great big bubbles, and it includes both tangible and financial assets, the unwinding of it takes decades. Um, I could also even get a little bigger perspective on this, is that in 2,000 years, there fortunately has only been three periods of rampant price inflation in the senior currency and in the senior economy. And that was the third century in Rome. Prices went up by a multiple of 40 times, and then the whole thing blew apart. Uh, the public refused uh, authoritarian government. Then the next one was in the 1500s, and the same thing, uh, eventually uh, it burned itself out. And then we've had the one that's been going for about 100 years now, and, and I would uh, define that as a hyperinflation, a century of it, in the senior currency, in the senior economy. And then you had massive political change that took a look at every institution and uh, changed it and modified it. But the main thing was you had a tremendous reformation from big government to uh, a politics uh, more designed for the individual. So the the common thing to each of those great hyperinflation was that they ran for 100 years, and then the public had a massive change. So here, where the inflationists are considering that the U.S. dollar is going to go to zero, which would be a massive repudiation of the dollar, I would suggest that they were in a political change whereby... 
the idiots running the central bank are going to be repudiated. <laughs> and the culture of, of interventionist economics will be repudiated. And, and all of central planning will be. We are in extremely exciting times. And I, I know I begin each day looking at the marks and say, this, you know, this is a fun game to watch. And it's fine if you can protect yourself. It's even better if you can trade. But uh, I think uh, this is going to be massive political change there where the public will force the government to go back to a gold standard. Interesting. Big times. Very, very interesting. Now, John, um, I think uh, Bob just mentioned hyperinflation and his definition. I'd like to get your definition of hyperinflation. Could you tell our listeners? Well, I I don't know if he had currency other than some that are currently surviving that hasn't uh, usually ended in, in, in hyperinflation. Uh, hyperinflation is a very, very rapid pace of inflation. Uh, I use a, a, a very crude definition. That is that the uh, because there are so many out there, you know, a couple of thousand percent or over fifty percent, different numbers are thrown out. I'm looking at something generally much higher than that. Where uh, if you take the uh, uh, highest denomination note before the high, hyperinflation hits, in this case, which would be the $100 bill, when that becomes worth more as functional toilet paper than as currency, you have a hyperinflation. I'm talking the Weimar Republic uh, hyperinflation, where the currency becomes becomes virtually worthless. Ouch. Now, you have... <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Bob's cited a number of interesting points in history, uh, we have now a situation in the United States where, let's just take the take the Great Depression cycle where we start to go off the gold standard with Roosevelt, Nixon, uh, those as a gold window in 70, since 1970, uh, we've been in, uh, we, we, we've been uh, completely uh, feared. Now, if we were going through this 30 years ago, I completely agree with Bob that the public would uh, overturn the system and push for it to be corrected as it should have been done many, many decades before. But uh, we've gone beyond the point uh, where it can be easily contained. I mean, it's sort of like the crisis uh, uh, two years ago, the uh, systems on, on the brink of a collapse of the banking system. Do you step in and save it or do you let it collapse? Well, given that the Fed's primary function in life is uh, to support the banking system, um, the, the obvious answer there was support the banking system. We're now in a situation with the U.S. government that the politicians uh, have already uh, are spending and have committed to spend funds that cannot ever be, be covered in the normal course of uh, business for the federal government can never raise enough taxes. Uh, so in order to change the system, to, to get it under a gold standard, which and I, I believe that demand is going to come, but it's not going to work until the uh, fiscal conditions are brought under, under control, um, and, until the government's uh, uh, fiscal house is in order, until the world, uh, again, can see the uh, uh, dollar as the uh, great currency that it once was. Keep in mind back in the, the days of... Uh, uh, the, the, the Great Depression, we, we had a trade surplus. We didn't have a, a, a tremendous uh, government uh, uh, 
uh, deficit. Generally, it was it was in surplus. Uh, <clears throat> now we have a tremendous uh, annual uh, trade deficit. We have uh, uh, def- uh, budget deficits that, uh, by themselves, are uh, you know. It, Right now, the current the current number for 2009 uh, will be more than half of uh, uh, annual GDP. Mm. Uh, if you t- add together all the, the the total the total debt that the government's taken on and the obligations it is committed to in terms of spending, that present value um, that's assuming that present value the unfunded liabilities, assuming the future value of money there and the cost of what lies ahead. Uh, we're looking at uh, obligations of roughly $75 trillion, which is uh, five times the level of GDP. There's no no way that can possibly um, be paid off in the existing system. Um, so, John, what you're suggesting then is that the only way that that's going to be funded is through printing press money, and then how do they get it out to the – is it just transfer payments to the masses? Is that what you standard. see coming down the pike? We'll go – I just finished this one – or sure, uh, the uh, it will be very painfully as a result of the hyperinflation that the public will be demanding uh, the gold standard and the, and again uh, putting the the fiscal house in order. Usually, people don't tend to tend to respond much until they uh, uh, suffer financial pain, and uh, we're beginning to see that now. But the house has to be uh, in, in proper shape before you can. Uh, Give it a new foundation. Yeah, there's. I could make a. Yeah, go ahead, point. Bob. What yeah. respond to that? that uh, uh, in, in other words, John is Germany, John is arguing that we have to see. Yeah. That, you know, people become uncomfortable. Their currency becomes worthless. They're going to revolt. They're going to demand a a strong, you know, a, a real dollar, yeah. a dollar backed by gold. But you see it working the other way that we're going yeah. to back into the gold standard through a deflationary environment. Yeah. And I guess understanding John's point of view is that if the dollar is actually gaining more value, then would there be a need to go to gold to a gold standard then? Well, yeah, the uh, it's uh, the, the discipline is required. But I could point out that in the Weimar inflation and going into that, Germany effectively, although an important country, had no credit market. So then they were then right printing uh, the printing presses going and kept it going. Leading economists in Germany in 1922 took and deflated the money to growth and money supply and said that it's not growing fast enough. So when you're in a mania, even economists go crazy. Mm. But And then they finally decided that they had to stop it. So they had the political will to stop it. But in the case of the United States, it's the world's supreme credit market. And they will have to, the bond vigilantes will get them. As a matter of fact, I think there's going to be the next big disaster has already started now, and it's in sovereign debt. There's nothing new there. And then also corporate debt will soon take another leg down, and I think eventually the bond revulsion will get so bad that it will bring the prices down for you at long treasuries. And interest rates soaring, uh, it's going to be felt all around, and then that will put the reaction into the political side and just say stop stop the presses, so to speak. But uh, I think the credit markets in the U.S. will do the service in ending this insane experiment in managing the interest rates and in managing 
the currency, the whole thing, I think it's going to blow itself out. So, so Bob, do you think we've can, seen the no, highs the in the Treasury market? Huge. Do you think the long, the long U.S. Treasury is, uh, you know, is is, in a, is starting a bear market now, a long secular bear market? I think. Well, I wouldn't say a long secular bear market. I'd say that it's it's in a, a decline since 142, and is now around 116 on the long, on the bond future. And a, a, a brief crisis will perhaps change the whole game, uh, and, a, and a severe crisis in in long uh, U.S. Uh, treasuries. But then the idea of uh, the, the prospect of a huge deficit and debt load uh, is not new either. Uh, you've got examples uh, a couple hundred years ago where some diligent researcher sat down and figured the debt, figured the thickness of the coinage of the day, and said it, it would stack up to, you know, so high. Uh, We've seen that uh, a while ago where you said somebody took the work in $1,000 bills and stacked them up and it would rise to, who knows, the height of the Empire State Building. So these ex- conditions of excessive debt by government have existed before, and they have then eventually been cleaned up in uh, the usual post-bubble uh, credit contraction. So, Bob... Um how are how is our government going to pay for the obligations? I mean, we have the aging population, we have Social Security and Medicare. That is, you know, as John points out, is even if we taxed we're taxed 100 percent of our income, it wouldn't be enough. What's going to give here? Is the government It'll going to renege on its promise? All over the place. What's that? Now the bond prices are going to the corporate definitely sovereign now. And here's here's the classic pattern: the Economist the headlines in 1873 about the Spanish debt problem. Now it's Greece, including Spain, but here, June the 7th, 1873, the approaching Spanish repudiation. July 5th, Spain is making arrangements for the payment of the current coupon. August 2nd, Spanish interest will not be paid. August 30th, anarchy in Spain. Hmm. Well, this is what's going to happen. It's going to grind right down uh, in Greece now. The trade unions are trying to resist any form of cutting things back, and I'm sure that they existed before. So this is going to be a massive change in culture on the side of the guys who have been had the audacity and ego to think that they could manage an economy. And then it's also going to be a massive change on the side who is expected to support the whole thing. So, yeah. All bond prices are probably going to take a massive haircut, and uh, the and in I hate to use Austrian terms, but you have to get all prices down to the level where your ordinary businessman sees value there and starts to do business again. And as usual with those things, the faster it happens, the better. So, uh, John, uh, I, I have to ask you. We only have about three or four minutes left, so I've got to ask yep. John. Uh, John, where, where do you think? Do you think the the treasury markets are about ready to tank? The U.S. Treasury, uh, well, they're, they're going to uh, I, I can't give you the exact timing, but uh, p- putting money in uh, long, long treasuries uh, about the last place I'd, I'd, I'd look to put it. Uh, I, I agree with uh, uh, much of what Bob is saying. I mean that we're in for cultural shocks here, uh, but the uh, what you have to keep in mind. Best bet I can give you at the moment is that the uh, U.S. economy in the year ahead is going to continue in contraction. We're going to see a worse 
economy now than commonly is expected. All the projections on the uh, budget deficits, uh, treasury funding, state fundings, uh, all those are, are based on presumptions of positive economic growth in 2010. So the fundings are going to be a lot worse than expected. Looking at record fundings as it is, you're also the government's probably going to have to bail out California. I'm talking about federal government. Uh, you're going to see increased expenditures as well as reduced revenues. <clears throat> Treasury's already having funding problems. Indeed, I think the market's going to rebel. I, I'd also contend that you're probably going to see increased dumping of treasuries currently held by uh, uh, investors uh, both inside and outside the United States. Uh, the, 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 the effect there is indeed to spike interest rates. Uh, the funding needs are so great that they're draining liquidity from the system. And, and here you have our Fed now that uh, uh, has no constraints on it whatsoever uh, that I'll contend um, is going to step in as a buyer of last resort and keep those markets liquid, keep buying up the treasuries, and in doing so, they actually are, are printing the money. Mm-hmm. If the if the uh, if the treasury, instead of uh, borrowing the funds from the public, where the funds are brought in uh, from the public and then sent back out as checks to the public, uh, that has a, a nil effect on the, on the money supply. But if the, if the if the uh, Federal Reserve's providing the funds. That's a straight addition to the money supply, and it goes right out to the people that spend it. That's where you're going to start to see some pickup in the in the uh, uh, traditional money money measures. And uh, beyond that, uh, in reaction to this, it's a terribly deteriorating circumstance, and general revulsion by people who are holding dollars around the world will be increased dumping of the U.S. dollar, and it is a selling pressure on the dollar uh, that will has already. We've already seen some fluctuations in inflation from, because a weakening dollar will spike uh, items such as a dollar-denominated oil, uh, which in turn creates inflation for us here and with energy-related products. But it's not a demand-driven uh, inflation. That's not driven by strong uh, economic activity. It's it's being uh, driven by monetary distortions. Right. So, John, as I understand, your argument for hyperinflation essentially is a dollar that's going to collapse, and therefore imported goods will become extremely expensive. The government will have to print more and more money to pay for its services, whereas, Bob, you believe that the dollar, as the world's reserve currency, uh, using history, will will contract, will become stronger vis-a-vis other currencies, I think uh, is 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 that in a nutshell yeah, the argument one, that both of you provide? One of the things you can say about the post bubble contraction is that a, a lot of damage was done in the senior currency during the bubbles, and uh, because asset prices were bid up all over the place relative to then uh, sterling, lately dollars, and so the rule of thumb that we came up with is that. In a post-bubble contraction, the senior currency eventually becomes strong most of the time against most currencies and most other commodities for most of the time. And you still have a business cycle, three to four years coming and going. And uh, more recently, you had a pattern in copper, gave a very big high, uh, the likes of which have only seen a few in the last 30 years or so. So the it looks like we've had a big rebound out of a a worse crash than than followed 1929, and that the rebound has about running is running out of energy 
And when you get the next wave of declining asset prices, it is going to really uh, curb the ability of the Fed to depreciate the dollar. Well, this is really interesting. I wish we had more time. We've got 30 seconds, uh, my engineer is telling me here. John, would you care to just make a a closing comment uh, with regard to what Bob just said or or make your case for hyperinflation? Very very simply, uh, there's been a major effort afoot to... uh, change the dollar's uh, status as, as uh, the reserve currency. Um, I, I think that movement's going to accelerate in the, in the year ahead. Okay, well, that would be, a, that would be a, a big difference then, obviously, if that changes. Then, Bob, would you see possibly some changes? I mean, is it that easy? Can, can the dollar not, no longer be, be the world's reserve currency? And if so, where, where might we you, go to? You have so many transactions done in, in dollars. Uh, London-based metal prices, London Metal Exchange, uh, crude oil. Uh, there's just so much transacted in dollars that it would be like a mighty momentum change to change that. Mm-hmm. And I think credit markets are moving faster than one can change to another uh, another senior currency. Okay, well, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Both of you guys have, have great arguments on both sides of this discussion, and uh, I think you've both done a great service to our listeners. I want to thank both of you, especially you, John, struggling with that cold you have. I'm sorry about that. I'm, I'm grateful to you for coming on in spite of it. Um, you know, where can um, – let's just let people know where they can learn more about, Bob, your website, where people can go it's, to. Yep, institutionaladvisors.com. And, or, John? I hate to say it, just Google my name, Bob Hoy, B-O-B-H-O-Y-E. Yeah, and, John, your your website where people website shadow stats. Shadowstats.com. And I listen, I read uh, the work of both of these gentlemen on a regular basis, can't miss their work. It's very, very important to me um, to keep in tune with their arguments on both sides of this. They're very much in agreement, more than we would would think on the surface, but definitely it's just a slightly different view, but it makes all the difference in the world. I think both gentlemen didn't have time to tell you, but they're both very bullish on gold, and Bob, especially on gold mining companies, if we're in a deflationary environment, as he thinks we are. We're going to come right back with Frank Callahan. He's the president of a very interesting company, Barkerville Gold Mines, and Frank will be right with us on the other side of the break. Don't go away. (laughs) 